It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In today's episode, in the midst of all the ugliness that has surrounded the pandemic, there's actually something good that's happened. There will be several things that are examples, things that the pandemic has forced us is our ability to create and innovate has come to the fore. And that involves productivity. There's also great news on the job front. And speaking of jobs, I get questions all the time from people changing employers and moving their 401k accounts. I don't want you to find yourself in a position when you change jobs of getting ripped off. So employers are falling all over themselves, offering all kinds of new benefits and new levels of pay and all that to attract workers. I've talked about in recent weeks how uh, Walmart and Target are offering access to free college now, uh, usually even to part-timers. Aldi, the discount supermarket, just announced they need 20,000 new workers in the United States in the next 100 days. And in order to attract those 20,000 workers, and keep people they have, the pay now in, in their stores is rising typically to $15 an hour starting, and in their warehouses, about $19 an hour. But wait, there's more. Comes with health coverage and comes with paid vacation. And this is something that more and more employers who used to really cheap out on retail, grocery, and restaurant workers, more and more they're finding in this labor shortage that they're having to adjust and offer better working conditions, better benefits, better pay. And it provides a real opportunity if you're in a job where that's not happening. Uh, So it's up to you if you're a creature of habit and inertia, if the place you're working is leaving pay kind of where it's been and you know there's much better pay and potentially benefits somewhere else, it's up to you if you go out there and seek other opportunity. But I'll tell you something that's really annoyed people, and that's when a company is offering new hires better pay and benefits than people who've been working at a place and have been loyal to it. That's really short-sighted and not well thought out by employers that are dealing with labor shortages because all they're going to do is increase velocity of people who quit and go somewhere else. But there is a huge advantage to the U.S. economy from the current labor shortage. And this is where economics becomes a really weird kind of thing. So what happens when there are labor shortages that push pay rates up, is employers see their cost pressures in their overall cost of doing business rising. So what they do then is they look for innovative ways to lower those costs. And if you think it means all they do is work their existing workers harder, that's not a sustainable business plan. I mean, that's why there's been such big uh, blowback at Amazon 
for treating their workers like garbage, even as they pay them more money. That's not a sustainable business plan. And Amazon is going to have to, as a maturing business, not a scrappy startup, they're going to have to change how they do things. And how do you do that? Like in so many businesses, you do it through technology. You do it through innovation. And there will be a lot of things that businesses try that don't work, others that do. And the reality is the overall well-being of a society's people comes from increasing productivity. That's the output of goods or services for each hour worked by each human. So a lot of people think that the way you improve people's lot in life is you just employ people and pay them more money. But that's a zero-sum game. You have to be able as a business to maintain or increase profitability over the long haul. And the way you do that is by making each worker's hour more efficient. And that's done with equipment improvements, computer improvements, general technology improvements. And an example of this that to you may not be an improvement at all is something that started in Europe years ago, and that is when you'd go into a fast food restaurant, you would go to what was then a very rudimentary screen and order your food yourself on that screen. And you may hate those screens. Now they're touch screens. They're more sophisticated. If you're a member of a program, it scans your app and it knows your last order and all that. Or you order right on the app. This is a way of speeding up orders and lowering the labor cost of producing that order. And it's just one simple example of one of the things that's coming out of the pandemic which is a significant increase in the output of each hour worked by a human. And that is how a society creates more wealth for its citizens. You don't do it with mandates or necessarily with laws. You do it by making businesses more efficient. And that is something that I think we are clearly going to, in spite of all the terrible things that are going on right now with the Delta variant, with so many people hospitalized, um, ICUs full, people being in hallways and hospitals because there's no room for them. The human tragedy of this is off the charts. But out of every event of extreme adversity comes innovation, and this will be no different. Krista? Okay, this is from Barbara in Florida. She said, my doctor prescribed two drugs for a recent problem, and when I went to pick them up, the tech told me they ran them through my insurance and there was a $65 balance, and was that okay? I was in a lot of pain and needed them, so I had no choice. I, when I got home, I checked the drugs against my GoodRx app and found the cash price would have been $40 less. I went back a couple of days later when I was feeling better with my receipt and was given a refund of the difference. My question, how can the same exact pharmacy charge such different prices on the same exact drugs? Who took a hit on the $40 refund, the pharmacy or the drug maker? So likely what happened is the 
the prescription drug plan you had was the one that took the hit. It's very common with health insurance, particularly provided by an employer. There's a lot of hocus pocus that goes on behind the scenes with reimbursements for prescription drugs and charges to you as the insured from your employer that you end up being ripped off on prescription benefits that you do through your prescription drug plan. I talked recently about how much cheaper it is for most of the prescriptions I take to fill them without insurance than it is to fill them with insurance using the GoodRx app or another of GoodRx's competitors can show you the difference in prices from one pharmacy to another for filling a prescription drug. And you follow that pricing, and normally on probably at least 80% of the drugs you fill, it will be much cheaper being a straight cash payer using one of these apps than it would be using the insurance your employer provided you. And from Holly in Texas, I just received a debit card from Cash App, which is concerning since I do not even have an account with them and have never even downloaded the app. I immediately shredded the card and I never activated it. I'm concerned how this could have been opened since I have a credit freeze with all three agencies for a few years. I called and added a fraud alert yesterday as an extra layer of protection. I signed up with Experian that does a monthly check, and I filed a fraud report with the FTC since Cash App is impossible to contact. Am I safe now, or what next step should I take to close this account that was fraudulently opened? So these problems with people fraudulently using Cash App or Venmo to steal money from your checking account is an ongoing issue because even if you have a credit freeze in place. This is not a traditional extension of credit. People gain access to your social security number all different ways, and this is a new vulnerability that criminals are exploiting. The reality is, if there's no money in your cash app account, because it's not an account that you created, as long as you don't activate that card and give access to your bank account, no harm will happen to you. If you thought, oh, this is great, I meant to open a Cash App account, look at it, it's here, and you go ahead and activate it, and you tie it into your existing checking account, the crook who opened that account is just waiting for that to become an active account, and then they start sending money to themselves. So what you do is, as best you can, it's a little easier than it used to be because it used to be impossible with Cash App, You contact Cash App, customer no service, tell them you have a fraud problem, somebody open an account as if they're you, and you want that shut down. And that is the best answer I have for you. In addition, there is a bank tied in with Cash App sending out these debit cards. Contacting them is a useful step because they have to comply with federal regulations on investigating fraud and that card you have that debit card shows you the issuing financial institution and a number to contact them on the back of the card and hopefully you will get this all cleaned up cleared up and will not have any risk to any of the money in your checking account and from kathy in hawaii aloha 
Thank you for mentioning the unclaimed property website. I found $10 that belongs to me in California and already submitted my request for its rightful return. They had my address off by one number. I also have $1 that belongs to me in Hawaii, but I probably won't be getting it back because they make you mail in two copies of proof of who I am. For a dollar? (laughs) How much do stamps cost now? Anyway, I then proceeded to look up friends and found a few hundred dollars that belong to people I know. I love this, Kathy, and I hope that that your part of Hawaii is not feeling too much love from mainlanders invading the Hawaiian islands on vacation right now, as I keep hearing about, and looking to see if there's money out there that is unclaimed that is there for you, a relative, a loved one, or a friend. It's a great thing to do. You start at missingmoney.com, completely free to use. You can also go to the website unclaimed.org to see if money is hanging out there. And straight ahead, what you need to know when moving your 401k, the advice I'm about to give you can save you huge money. The quit rate on jobs keeps going up and up. That's people who say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go somewhere else. I don't want to work here anymore. And more often than not, when you leave a job or they decide they want you to leave, you're leaving behind a 401k plan. If you have less than $5,000, the company typically can cash you out of the 401k, the place you work. But often people have more than $5,000, and it's your option to leave the money in your former employer's plan or move the money out potentially to a new employer's 401k plan or to your own IRA. One tell you there's some snakes in the grass you got to be very aware of. There are a lot of shady, shady, shady investment people, especially people who are at full commission stock brokerages, banks, or insurance companies that will try to get you to move your 401k money to an IRA with their firm. Now, why would that be? a dangerous thing to do with a full commission stockbroker, a bank, or an insurance company. Fee on top of fee on top of fee with more fees added is icing on the cake. So hopefully the 401k at your former employer is a reasonable plan in terms of costs. It may not be if you were with a very small employer, but hopefully particularly if you were the larger employer, has very, very low fees. If a salesperson tries to get you to move that money into an IRA with their firm, you've got really strong odds that you're going to pay much, 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 much higher costs in management fees and potentially commissions with a full commission stock brokerage, a bank, or with an insurance company. So you would have X number of dollars. By the time you've moved the money, you have done significant subtraction from that number of dollars. And so you're fighting from behind. You've gone backwards with your money. And then going forward with an insurance company, a bank, or a full commission stock brokerage, your expenses will typically be much higher each year than what they were in the old employer's 401k. So it is an ugly scenario. 
So let's take this situation. Let's say your old employer was a smaller company, and so the 401k likely has higher costs. You would be to a real advantage if you, on your own volition, because they're not coming to look for you at the low-cost places, if you were to choose to move your money to a low-cost player for an IRA. So you could take your 401k money and move it into an IRA with Fidelity or Schwab or Vanguard or Betterment or Wealthfront, uh, just to name five examples, and you have a good chance that the costs will be a lot lower than what you had in the small company 401k, maybe equivalent or even lower than what you had in a midsize company 401k. You also, if you go to a large employer, you may have an ultra-low-cost 401k with your new employer, in which case it would make sense to just move the money from the old employer 401k to the new employer 401k. But pretty much as a never, 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 not ever rule, you don't ever want to move 401k money to an IRA with a full commission stock brokerage, a bank, or an insurance company, because in all three cases, instead of addition, you learn a whole lot about subtraction. And that's your money, your security, your future. Krista? Well, I've got a question here from Taroko who says, a friend of mine is a financial advisor and told me about an exclusive investment program from an insurance company. He says it's so exclusive that they keep from advertising the program to the general public. Oh, boy. I wanted to know if you're aware of it and share some info of what they calculated for me. There are three options, a 10, 15, and 20 pay life saving coverage protection. And then you can see, Clark, I, um, I copied oh, I'm looking, what he had I'm looking right now. Specifics. <laughs> okay. So let's take the example you gave. In the first four years, you would pay in $24,000 in premiums, and you'd have a value to the account of $9,644. So $24,000 becomes a little over $9,000. Why? Because the massive, ginormo commissions you have to pay in buying one of these life insurance policies. This is not any great benefit you're being offered. This is an ugly thing because you would be much better off buying if you need life insurance because you say the the benefit is $200,000. You could buy quarter million dollars of term life insurance that just pays to your survivors in the event of your passing for a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of this $6,000 premium, just a few hundred dollars a year instead of $6,000 a year. In addition, you could then take money and invest it, putting it in, uh, if you have a 401k at work, you could fund more of it. If you have don't have a Roth IRA, you could open one, fund it, because you can put up to 6000 a year in a Roth IRA There are investments available that have zero cost, zero commission, or those with practically zero cost and zero commission. And you would not end four years with a tiny fraction of what you'd put in. So owning 
level term life insurance, which I've got a, a good explanation of on Clark.com, and funding that $6,000 into a Roth each year would be a far more efficient use of your money than buying this supposedly unadvertised, wonderful, secret special that the secret you need to know, this is all about the financial advisor making massive commissions off of your $6,000 each year. And from Stephanie in Minnesota, I started to listen to your podcast at the start of the pandemic and now would not think of missing a show. You have helped me win a credit score competition with my husband. And for the record, I beat his 817 with my 822. Recently, I literally said out loud, I am Talon Clark. (laughs) (laughs) In planning a family vacation, I found a place on Airbnb. I clicked on the make reservation button and a prompt asked for a phone number. Apple, Google, or Facebook account. I chose to use my phone number. I was sent a six-digit push pin to enter. Ensuring I was on their website, I continued to book and pay for the reservation. What I didn't realize, I was in someone else's Airbnb account. This person had previously had my phone number. The Airbnb program links the phone number entered to any existing Airbnb profile, which now had my credit card information, and I could see this person's payment info. There's so much more of the story, but I just wanted to send out a warning to your listeners. Wow. 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 <laughs> so have you ever heard of this problem with I haven't, a duplicate but I'm not, Airbnb account? I'm not surprised because anything, if they ask for your phone number that's linked to an account and you get a push, I mean, you would think that that would work. But I guess, you know, that's probably not a good idea to use as a sign-in. So Airbnb, uh, cutting corners, uh, figures that... Somebody has a phone number for life, but that's not true. Phone numbers do circulate over time. And this is a very, very important warning. And Stephanie, thank you very much for taking the time to share this for the benefit of your fellow podcast listener. And from Allen in Tennessee, a young driver on my insurance went off to college but did not take the car. Should I take her off the auto insurance policy and then put her back on in December when she returns for Christmas break? So, Alan, you need to talk with your insurance company, and this is a variable based on state insurance law and regulations. Insurance is regulated by each state, and there almost certainly is a procedure where you're able to remove your young driver because they're no longer in the area. They're off to college. They don't have a car. You could take her off potentially, and she could be an occasional user of a vehicle when she returns back for Christmas. But this is something that I cannot give a blanket answer to. You need to ask your insurer whether you use an agent, you talk with him or her, or you're with what's known as a direct writer, one that you call a toll-free number, you need to find out what is the most efficient and proper way for you to handle insuring because you obviously don't want to be insuring an 18-year-old if you don't have to because of the enormous cost of insuring a teenager. And I want to thank you, Alan, and all your fellow podcast listeners for joining us. Please visit Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com for more money-saving advice you can trust.